Hey, it's Chris Urban. Welcome to the Triple Clicks Video Game Marketing Podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by Tyler Turquan, the head of studio relations at Fandango. We had a great conversation about his more than two decades in the film industry, the evolution of how brands engage with film, and we even got to swap some of our favorite Star Wars stories. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you for. I know you got a lot of stuff going on today, so thanks for coming. Excited over. to be here. Fun. So let's go back a little bit. You so as the vice president of studio relations for Fandango, you have worked at Universal as a promotions coordinator. <laughs> uh, you were doing marketing with Disney and Warner Brothers. I feel like you've worked at almost every studio in the yes. Valley. So I wanted to test everything before I made my decision of what I want to do with my career. Yeah, no, I think that's perfect. Um, before Fandango, there was Quantum. Rewards, also known as marketing movie marketing money. We we were multiple companies. We started off as Hollywood Movie Magic, uh, then went into Hollywood Movie Money, then Quantum Loyalty Solutions, which I think is what we were and sold as before Fandango. So yes, around for two or three years, change your name three times. So that's yeah, great. That's good. good <laughs> exactly. The, the marketing exactly. relaunch. Yeah, yeah. I had a, I had a, the owner of the company was quite bored with the name constantly, so he's always changing it. What was what was the rewards? What was the business model then? I think Fandango started in 2000. This is a little bit before that, but right around that time. Yeah. What, what was the business? Uh, so, so backing up a little bit, um, I was at Warner Brothers doing theatrical promotions around frail films like the Matrix trilogy and just Harry Potter was getting going. And I was working on some films and met a gentleman by the name of Ron Wall who created the promotional movie ticketing business under a previous company called the Properties Group Movie Cash. And so I was working with Ron on this concept of inserting movie tickets into packaged goods products like cereals, toothpaste, games, et cetera. And so uh, it was actually a paper currency. It was a check-based business. And this was pre-printed uh, home movie tickets and obviously pre-Fandango as well. And so the business exploded. And so I was there for a number of years Printed um, tickets inside the cereal box? Yeah, so like, they were bankable checks. Okay. And so literally would, cash. Exactly. Exactly. So we would uh, we would create these checks with uh, uh, creative artwork on the front of it around a film, impact them into various products, and then um, distribute those within the marketplace within the consumer packaged goods business. So it was a win-win. Consumer packaged companies were seeing a lift in sell-in and sell-through. Studios loved, instead of giving away tchotchke items they were giving away box office paid for by a third-party partner like a Kellogg's um, and so it, the business grew quite rapidly we were based in Lake Tahoe Nevada and um, and Fandango then came onto the scene and did not have a rewards business uh, they were just a, a consumer facing business and they purchased our company to focus on that third-party partnership so what was the business the Fandango was it was essentially ordering tickets not at the theaters, but offline? It was, no, it was all online based. So it was ordering tickets through Fandango for movie tickets. Instead of standing in line at the box office, you can order through Fandango. And this was also pre-reserved seats as well. So it was just a convenience factor for the consumer to be able to eliminate the line and uh, order your tickets through Fandango. Yeah, if I remember the first creative for Fandango was there was people 
rushing into the theater, tripping over themselves, trying to get into the theater. Yes. And then another ca- casual couple walks right yes, in and sits. Exactly. Yeah, so if was, you also remember, uh, the original marketing campaign and the launch of Fandango was uh, paper bag puppets. I'm not sure if you uh, remember that. Sure. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so those, those are still ever, alive. Were, were you ever one of the puppets? I know I you've not, read for Angry Birds yes, and you've done some yes. voice work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to be no, strong in the puppet space. I am not strong in the puppet pay, uh, space, but the puppets are in frames in our office still. They're they're alive and well. The originals. Yes, nice. exactly. I go to Taco Bell and they also have they have statues for the Yukiro, the, the, oh. the dog. and they have just going back and like the Taco Bell elevators are spectacular because they have all the older marketing campaigns and in the and elevator diff- yeah in the elevators and just kind of decorate the offices Fantastic. they're just great because such like, I love when you're a good marketer and you're playing off your absolutely you got to stay in touch with what got you where you are I yeah love it. absolutely so it's I find Fandango fascinating because how big it is now and how relevant it is mm-hmm. now but having started in 2000 they were it was seat reservations weren't around there wasn't Correct. like the uber of cabs like every like i haven't bought a movie ticket in 10 years that wasn't through fandango it's just you i can do my movie times you just buy everything there so it's fascinating to think of how the studio relations and how the business came out of back in 2000 so as you guys get acquired by fandango what was the like the what was the benefit for the studios? I get the marketing for the the brands, like the cereals and those things. What was the play for the studios? The play for the studios is, and and I go back to to my early phases in my career. Um, at the end of the day, regardless of the department that you're in at the studios, your job is to push box office, whether it be in the theme park, in consumer products, in home entertainment, wherever that may be, it's to open film. And so... Fandango was obviously um, well-received within the studios at launch just because of that very thing, is our job was to increase box office sales by eliminating the, the, the need to stand in line to get a ticket or a movie is sold out by the time you get there. You can do that through your computer um, in the early phases of this. And so the studios absolutely loved Fandango, and they still do because of the amount of revenue and box office that we generate. And... And not tuning our own horn, but it goes along the path with all of the other companies that are now in this space, along with the theaters selling their own tickets. However many companies can sell tickets, the studios are going to embrace because that's just another way for the consumer to go see their film. Studios could always get the cereal boxes. I think it's a switch from a tchotchke to an actual drive you know, Absolutely. box offices. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the key. yeah. I mean, it, the more movies that are out, obviously, the tentpole type films, the the sequels. You're seeing, um, you're seeing a time in filmmaking and uh, distribution where uh, you're seeing a lot of sequel driven business. Obviously, the merger with Fox and Disney. Now, um, you have a massive library of content from Marvel to Lucas uh, to Pixar to Disney Animation, and the list goes on. So that lends itself to repeat business of New Avengers, Toy Story 4, um, Frozen 2. Those are natural um, fits, and it helps us immensely because of the pre-awareness campaigns, and we're able to now sell movie tickets way in advance to reserve those tickets, and now studios can count on that box office from a forecasting standpoint. What From a Fandango perspective... How big is the rewards business versus their t- ticket sales? Is it, a, is, it, is it an additional piece of it, or how important is that? I know that because Fandango also, like, you do the GameStop gift mm-hmm. cards, and you're doing Best Buy gift cards, mm-hmm. so there's a business around that as well. From the cards perspective, or the, the rewards business important? 
Um, I believe when we first were acquired, it was a nice to have. I think we created a, a little bit of um, a thorn in their side when I was doing this independently on a private side. Um, and we would find ourselves within the Fandango space quite a bit. So I think we were acquired by, we're tired of seeing you and we need to focus on this, so go do it. Um, so you were you were something that they didn't have. You they just didn't have. Fill the gap. They, they had they had an individual, but it wasn't something they focused on. And I still, we have made some great strides in the last five year five years of being. Aren't they cute? To these guys are doing some pretty impressive programs sure. across the country. And so I, I, I'm not going to say that we are a large part of Fandango's internal ticketing business, but we're getting great exposure. We're doing multi multi million. Uh, ticket codes across the country. We have a great relationship with some casual dining companies that use us on a regular basis, and so, so we're we're making our mark. You're the gateway for brands to get into this to space. To Correct. Degree. Like I, mean, I, work, I work with, we work with a lot of the same brands. We collaborate yeah. on things. I mean, when people think about Hollywood, if you're not doing a product placement, I think Fandango is the solution of access to that to yeah. that IP. One of the things that I tell some of our younger salespeople all the time. Um, in that, you know, you're out there working in brand America and middle America and, you know, you got to understand who you're talking to and your clients. And one of the things that I often preach is you work with someone that works on a brand and their job is to increase sales and they've been selling the same thing for 15 years. And that's, you know, maybe it's 20 cent, 20% more product in box, but at the end of the day, it's the same brand. It's the same product over and over and over again. And here you come in from Southern California as a representative of Hollywood, and you have a instant connection with that individual because that individual has a memory of a film that w moved them, whether it be E.T., whether it be Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jurassic Park, all of these films resonate with brand managers. And so the ability to be able to come in and bring in a studio and go, hi, my name is Tyler Turquan. I am here representing uh, the new Indiana Jones that's coming out. Do you remember watching that as a kid? Oh my God, yes, I do. And so you eliminate that work um, stigma and go right into a personal connection or I love that film or I have kids and they love this film, et cetera. So um, yeah, I mean, it, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it, it's, a nat it's a natural film. No, film. I get it. It's the access stuff. I, th I think that's because I think when we when we talk to brands, like we, we I have the exact same conversations on the video game side mm -hmm. as you do. We're very kind of collaborative on film and entertainment. It's different than a, a tchotchke that goes in the box or those things. And I think the thing that I've always seen that you guys do is, I mean, the serial stuff is easy. Mm -hmm. um, when I see when you guys collaborate with Red Robin on a on a long term kind of promotion, talk about talk about your the the red just because I brought it up talk about the red robin program how did that work and how does that how does that work for both sides of that because I mean as we get into marketing what what is the benefit to some of those besides the ticket sales what are we driving at, at red robin is it is it burgers is it a gift card well like what's the play yeah um the red robin model was an interesting one it was kind of lightning in a bottle we we had a three-year relationship with red robin where we were driving gift card sales so Come into Red Robin, buy a $25 gift card, get a movie ticket to a selected film. And there are obviously their objective was how can we increase gift card sales? And um, they supported that through media on Fandango and outside sources as well. And uh, it was a great relationship. We did some really outstanding films. We did family films. We did tween films. Um, and it drove business into, into Red Robin to increase gift card sales in, and, and in conjunction with 
give great exposure to some films from various studios. And so, again, I go back to that original statement. It's a win-win. Red Robin selling additional gift cards. There's about a 25% lift in sales during that time period. Studios getting great exposure in restaurant across the country. They're increasing box office paid for by Red Robin. And, uh, and, and obviously we're doing, we're doing okay as well on our side from both a media play and selling of, of Fandango codes. It's amazing. And I, you can see the lift on those things, and it's. I think those are the programs that are just different than the theater, the ticket in the box, and, yeah. and just how do you? Because you're, you've got what are you, forty million people a month buying tickets. We're just about. Well, we have sixty-four million people visiting Fandango per month, and when I say that, that's an entertainment base. We're trying to become all things entertainment. So it's movies, it's it's um, it's reviewing a film through a Rotten Tomatoes brand. Uh, it's Fandango now. It's being able to review films and then give your opinion on that as well. So. We have Your opinion sucks. Yes. Which my you gave me that shirt. My wife wears that like as a pajama shirt. And my kids, when they like, we tell my kids to you know watch your language, and they see mom rocking a Your yeah. Opinion Sucks T-shirt all the time. Which it I is think. a great show. It is fantastic. The title of the show is awesome. If if anyone out there uh, is interested in taking a look at it, check out it on YouTube. Uh, it's basically a we pit um, film reviewers against fans. And it's uh, it's it's heated. It's debating. It's fun. Tickets, rewards, content across the board. Just uh, like getting within that space. I think that there's there's a small video game space that we'll get to. But yeah. I feel like you're still missing that. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've been in the business 18 years with with these guys. How has the evolution of the space changed the business? I mean, when I go to a when I go to a movie in Calabasas, it's twenty one dollars for this for a ticket for the theater. Yeah. If I go in Thousand Oaks, it's twelve dollars a ticket. Like the ticket pricing is kind of all over the board. What are the things that you've seen? Kind of the evolution of the space from the luxury theater to the different prices in different neighborhoods. Yeah, um, how does that Im- impact the business, or how do you guys build around that? The one complaint I get when talking to people when I mentioned I work at Fandango, the first thing I, they always tell me is, oh my God, the movie-going experience is so expensive. And so, and it is. It's an expensive proposition, but I often follow Depends on your with, neighborhood. It depends on your neighborhood, exactly. Um, but I also follow that up with, tell me where you can go uh, for $21 and be removed from daily life for a couple hours. Yeah. Other than sitting at a bar for two hours and you're going to be spending more than 21 bucks. So... So that quickly diffuses that situation. So to answer your question, um, that space is forever changing, and that you know the theater going space, these these guys don't make a ton of money on the actual movies itself. They're paid on concession, and they're also the paid, theaters. The theaters are, and so they've got to find different ways from a revenue standpoint to stream in business and make money. So it's concession. It's a percentage of the box office as a film stays in longer. I go back to my original statement of. Uh, sequels and remakes, that is a great proposition for the theaters because those films tend to, s- tend to stay in the theater a lot longer, and the longer a film stays in, the more percentage the, stu- uh, the theater gets on box office. So in addition to that, how can they make money? Well, it's advertising on screen, it's premium seating, it's delivering food at your, the- at your seat, it's a bar in the lobby, and so that's that's the biggest uh, change I've seen within the theater going experience, which is the luxury of the entire experience as 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 a whole. Yeah, and I love that the luxury space. Like I, when I go into a movie with my wife, I definitely hit that theater, and when I take the kids, I don't. You know, I yeah. I, I, I kind of we sure. select theaters based on that stuff. I think the biggest evolution that I've seen is ticket the the reserved seats. 
Like, I think the luxury thing is one thing, but I think the reserved seats is going to be... When I, I came from Florida and we didn't have... You know, I spent 10 years at EA Sports, and when when I was seeing movies down there, there was not reserved seats. And I get to L.A., and I'm like, oh, wait, i got to change... <laughs> the process of buying movie tickets right. changes up here. It's a great... It's a great I mean, you know, that's the basis of our business is, is avoid the lines and get a Fandango ticket and reserve your do you, seat. Do you see Lyft now because of reserve? Do you, like, I've been to your, your office and they have this spectacular screen where you literally see movie mm. ticket pop purchases yep. pop, up, pop up on that. It's spectacular. Do, do you see Lyft in theaters? And you may not know, but do you see a Lyft in theaters that are where you're seeing reserve seats? Because it just, if I... If I'm going to be on time, I don't really need to buy it with you. I could just go to the box office, yep. but like I'm going to do it. You know, us is coming out, and if I want to get the good seats for us, I need to buy it a couple of days ahead mm-hmm. in these neighborhoods, right? Like, how, does that help? Sales? Yeah, I mean, it absolutely helps sales. I think that the business is somewhat mature. I think that there's not a lot of theaters that don't offer reserve ticketing, but I also don't believe that there's a lot of consumers that are not aware of. Um, the reserve ticketing experience. So we are a mature business. We are victim to um, the theaters and what they're releasing and when they're releasing. So our our sales cycles are really dependent on release schedule. Yeah, I I travel a ton. You do too. I see so many theaters that don't have the reserve seats, which is crazy. Like, there's a yeah. brand new theater in Seattle in my old neighborhood, and they don't have the reserve seats. I'm just like, really? What are you doing? Like, wow. beautiful theater at South Center, and I'm just like, come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys built Fandango Now. Yes. Tell me a little bit about Fandango Now, and I, I, f- I feel like the the shrinking window between theatrical and home video in the space um, has been something that theaters have been pushing against for a long time. Uh, it's just a different revenue play for the for the studios, but I feel like the you know I feel like you guys were so the businesses was so tied to the the theatrical business, mm-hmm. and you see a lot of money shifting to the home videos. Tell us about Fandango now and and what the play there was. Yeah, you know the life cycle of the film film going experience is forever changing. I remember years ago when VHS went to DVD and how big that was. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was industry changing. And then it went from DVD to Blu-ray and forms of Blu-ray and who was going to be joining and et cetera. So um, the cycle is changing. Um, the digital platform is continuing to grow. I don't believe it's growing as fast as I think the studios had hoped for, but it is growing at a rapid pace. Um, that window from... Uh, theatrical to home is shrinking, but that is a um, that's a battle that's ongoing creatively. So, to explain that, there's there's a, a few points of interest here. One, filmmakers do not make movies to be seen on your phone, nor do they make them to be seen on your computer or tablet. Um, so they want that they want the consumers to see that film in a theater for a theater going experience. Consumers don't often have the time nor resources to sit in a theater. So they're enjoying that uh, shrinking window. And um, I believe that at at some point here in the very near future, we're going to see films releasing day and date from theatrical to home entertainment and having that ability to say, you know, I'd like to see Shazam and I have three kids. I'd like to see it at home. So I'll pay X number of dollars to see that movie at home the same day it releases in theater sure. for a one-time fee, and it you know you could see it once and it disappears. Um, that window's shrinking. I don't know how long before we get there. I know the theaters are not going to love that, and that's a constant battle between the studios and theaters. Well, that's the task on them is to increase, and the luxury kind of comes yeah. into it. But you got to increase the experience, right? Right. Which is you, 
kind of want, sometimes you want to get out of the house and go exactly. do that stuff. So you want to do it in the best way. Like they, you know, around in LA, you see new mall pop up and the cornerstone of it is still a theater. Yeah. Um, you know, Asnopolis and some of the, the brands out here that are building into that. So I definitely think that I do want to watch stuff at home, but I also want to be able to go out. So I, I feel like the shrinking market is, it's a battle, but you, you know, I think you guys pivoted properly to be like, well, we'll take both sides. So. Yeah. And, and, Fandango now is a great platform. It's very user-friendly. It's very convenient. Uh, we're growing a lot faster than we had anticipated. And it's own and rent, and it's it's both, right? Correct. It's, it's not subscription-based, so it's, uh, it's a great platform, and it's tied to your locker on other, um, other sources that you may have within a library that you've purchased movies from elsewhere. So it's a great piece of business, and we're proud of it, and and I think that uh, we'll continue to grow that platform. How as big is that? How big is that business now? Is it what can we can you talk about? I mean, is it's pretty big, right? I mean, yeah, I, it's pretty I, big. I go through there and uh, movies anywhere. I can plug into movies mm-hmm. anywhere through Fandango now. I go to my Xbox and there's a Fandango now yep. app where I can buy and rent. And, yep. And those things can live everywhere. Yeah. So I think it it's an interesting play. Uh, do we bring brands into that now? Is that how are you? How do you work with the CPG companies? Yeah. Ticket like home video plays versus theatrical plays mm-hmm. or you choose or dinner yeah, and a movie. So, yeah, d- the dinner and a movie concept obviously is, is a natural fit and we're pushing that on our side. I think that the Fandango Now platform for us on the rewards business is a huge help. We are now doing um, Fandango Now pieces of business with brands and they love it. So it's, you know, c- come into our location and buy X and take out menu and get a movie at home instead of going to the theater. Um, brands now we're doing that as well. Um, it's not as an expensive proposition, so it's a free rental versus mm-hmm. a, a, a in theater experience. So that's, it's be more cost effective for various clients. Um, but yeah, we, we can do movie specific. We can do any movie, anytime we can allow consumers to select from genres. So again, we go back to the serial model, buy a box of serial and get a Fandango now code for a free rental and select your movie. And so it's it's a growing business for us. We're excited. It's just another weapon within our arsenal, and, and we're, we're happy about it. Yeah, I, in the video game business, we start to see, you talked a little bit about day and date with home videos. Mm-hmm. We have that in the sp- Game Pass from Xbox, who I know your son plays. Yep. It's, you know, day and date now. When the new Forza title comes out, if you're a Game Pass member, you can jump in and play right away. And you can also, or you could buy it and and own it. So mm-hmm. it's just an interesting. We I feel like we're you know, video game industry is usually further behind the theatrical from some of the marketing perspectives, but I feel like from a technology space, I think we're advancing. I quickly. I am very intrigued about your business from a gaming standpoint. I believe that the entertainment industry from a film side, um, is is a bit um looking the other way and not seeing it coming based on the numbers that you've showed me, uh, based on competition, the, the, with content, the brands that we it, it's, to. it's absolutely amazing. Um, how disconnected I think at times the entertainment business is to gaming. And also it's very intriguing to me to see brands coming to you and saying, how can I get within the gaming space? I need to reach this demographic and I cannot reach that anywhere else other than gaming. Yeah, it's when we talk to brands, we, you know, we it's a bit of a challenge. If you go with a movie partner, you've got you've got two weeks, and we don't know if the film's going to be good. So you know, yeah. front load your things. Whereas when you partner with a f- game, you got a long run ramp, right? Yeah. So games are going to be relevant for six months. We just did a program with with Overwatch, 
and Kellogg's and Overwatch has been a market for two years. The game is still relevant. It's mm-hmm. still powerful. Um, so it's interesting to see brands kind of elevating. I mean, I think there's crazy stats. I think the I think the the U.S. video game industry is larger than the global film industry from a revenue perspective. Like there's kit, you know, you watch a you watch a movie two or three times, you rent it on video, you watch it again. You're spending ten to twelve hours watching a, a movie, yeah. and when we launch a new game, there's three hundred to four hundred hours of time sunk into it. So it's fascinating to me that sometimes the the people on your side of the fence. Um, don't see kind of what's coming from from the yeah. entertainment space, right? It's there's a difference between lean forward and lean back. Um, yeah, I think one of the things I think the studios fear most, and and I speak this just from a personal standpoint, I think what studios fear right now is the Netflix, the Hulu's, the Amazons. I don't know if there's. I mean, I, I believe they see gaming as a entertainment entity, but I don't know if they see. Um, uh, the collaboration that could be happening within the gaming space that allows them to reach a broader appeal and a broader consumer. I mean, because the people that are seeing movies are also people that are seeing or that are playing Overwatch, hands down, no doubt mm-hmm. about it. So the question is, is how can you tie those two those two demographics together and partner up with the gaming community, which is you know the numbers are staggering. Yeah, I and I I agree with you. I don't think they for some reason they don't see us coming. But when you talk to Netflix or even you know I've heard from Liverpool. Like their biggest fear is Fortnite, right? They're gonna lose soccer viewers to Fortnite, Fortnite right? Yeah. Same, same with Netflix, right? Netflix is like, hey, I got two or three hours. I'm just gonna chill on the couch and do what? Like, am right. I gonna watch a show or am I gonna play a game, right. right? So they definitely see it coming. I think part of the, I always think the Hollywood people, like when I was a legendary, like nobody plays. <laughs> right. Like the spaces, I think Fortnite is like, ah, it's just this little thing off to the side. I mean, it's big, but not everybody does that. Right, so right, right, right. It's interesting. What, what I think when it really kind of resonates a little bit is when you do partnership marketing. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing the brands. Like when we launched, you know, when we launched the last Xbox, I think we, we had Taco Bell and Doritos and Mountain Dew, and we had all those. And I think the films are, you know, having a tougher time chasing some of those brands for, for those theatrical windows, especially when you start to see Netflix and Amazon kind of step into that space. Like it'd, it'd make a ton of sense to see Stranger Things on Ego, right? Yeah. And some of those kind of collabs coming out of those spaces. So now all of a sudden you're the film industry and, and you, I've got this tentpole coming out and then there's also Netflix has got a tentpole and Hulu's got a tentpole and Amazon's got a tentpole and we've got three games coming out. Like, yeah. The, I mean, the 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 brand's ability to choose IP for their products, like it's never been better. Like yeah. they've, they, they've, they can pick whatever kind of works for them, um, which is a, a challenge for some of the, some of the people kind of in the film space, even, I mean, even for us, cause it's competitive. Um, but I mean, you're always going to have your star Wars and Jurassic park are going to get everything. It's, <laughs> the middle just kind of starts to get swallowed up. Right. Yeah. I mean the, the, the days of, um, the studios being able to say, I'm the only game in town. And if you want to partner, you partner with us are gone. I think that brands have a massive, massive, um, laundry list of areas that they can go in within a tie in space. So, you know, it's animated films, it's tween films, it's the Deadpools, it's the star Wars, it's X, Y, and Z. And now it's gaming as well. And so studios are having to compete with a lot of partners when it comes to, um, you're asking me to do this in support of your property, but Studio X is only asking me to do Y, and the properties are somewhat similar. Mm-hmm. And so it's very competitive out there landing partnerships on film-based stuff. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. I think you could see, 
and we haven't talked about this stuff, but I think when like episode nine comes out, you know, buy a ticket for episode nine and get a you know a Xbox Game Pass. Mm-hmm. Get two weeks of Xbox Game Pass because we've got like ten Star Wars games within the world, right? Yep. How do you kind of because we're all speaking the same language, we're all playing games, we're all watching the same kind of content. Um, mm-hmm. The world all is kind of coming together from an entertainer's perspective. So I feel like marketing and overlapping kind of some of those things will uh, eventually start to get into the movie space to really understand how to kind of incent people. I think one of the things that we do really well is when you look at. Um, promotions on packaging it's less about hey this movie's coming out and here's a little toy about it it's more like hey your favorite game came out and here are four pieces of content that you can only get in our box right so people are like oh i was gonna pay for that anyway so i might as well you know i buy chips or i buy cereal i'll just go buy that and i'll get the content that we want so exclusivity is a big thing within the cpg space consumer packaged goods space so um having the ability to give away exclusive content to only x partner is huge and obviously that's going to create a buzz and lift yeah it's exclusivity but it's also it's also like it's like i want that exactly you know what i mean and i feel like some of that's missing from generic promotions out there it's more of you the theaters outside of the tickets which has value and it's literally cash value you see you know hey we're just want to use you as a billboard to promote our product Mm -hmm. um video game side we turn stuff down all the time like Mm -hmm. when was the last time you saw Grand Theft Auto or Red Dead do a promotion. They don't need to. They don't need to. Um, So we don't want to use you as a billboard. It's more of like, all right, well, if if we're going to do something, let's do it right and kind of incent people because Mm -hmm. our promise to brands is to make sure they don't show up on Reddit with a bad bad offer or a bad statement. So kind of building that stuff out. Yeah. How do, um, when you guys, and you are a gamer and your kids Mm -hmm. play a lot, from an outsider's perspective, how do you look at the space? Like, from the sheer volume, but like from the engagement, do you see evolution in kind of where we are from a marketing perspective or what's your take on kind of... I still, yeah, I still believe that the gaming business is in, it, not infancy stages, but I think that there's such excitement around the gaming world and the community. And I believe that we're, you know, the gaming industry is just kind of hitting its stride a little bit and, and they're treating um, games as theatrical releases and the excitement surrounding that. I mean, you know, I'm I'm 50 years old, but I grew up playing um, Madden football and and you know Tech Mobile. And when these games came out, it was a it was a ditch school day or call in sick to work day. And Call of Duty followed up that. And and when that game released, that was another big, huge event type um, uh, type release. So I believe that you know there's such great content within the gaming community that creates this buzz and excitement. I think that, that uh, the gaming industry is now just hitting its stride. Is that why you were always at the office asking for games for your exactly, kids? Exactly, yes. It's not really for my kids, it's for me. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, are you more excited about Endgame or Ep9? Ep9. Really? Just core Star Wars fan. I am a Star Wars dork. It's why I got into this business. And um, What's your best Star Wars collectible? You know, I owned a piece of the Death Star from Return of the Jedi. And I, I absolutely still to this day regret getting rid of it. I traded it for um, a Star Wars arcade game that was in my garage. And that sense is gone. And I regret uh, getting rid of that piece. I, I, cherish my, um, I cherish my original collectible figures when I was a kid. I have them all displayed. And I absolutely love looking at them. It brings back great memories. Have you ever met Mark Hamill? 
No, Chris, I have not. I know the answer to that question. Yeah, I know. You get very mad that uh, I had the yeah. opportunity to come yeah. across Mark. Yeah, thank you for sending me that picture. That hurts a little bit. I send it to you every year. That's <laughs> like the annualized. Every time the Game Awards come on, I forward to be like, hey, remember that one time I was uh, got a picture with Mark Hamill yeah. and hung out with him? My goal is to meet Mark Hamill. I, I'm going to work hard to make that happen on episode nine premiere. And um, I don't know if I'm going to invite you. I met, <laughs> I appreciate that. I met him at the Game Awards. But the funny thing is, is I, uh, before I was at EA, I was at Wizards and I actually ran the Star Wars business for, for Wizards of the Coast. And we launched, I launched an RPG game and then we launched a TCG game. And I happened to run both of those. And my best Star Wars memory is, before the second ranch, before they opened the second ranch, there was just the original Skywalker mm-hmm. ranch. And I got to fly down and present the marketing strategy for, it was, it was not the, RP, I don't think the RPG was big enough to have to go to Lucas to present the pitch, but it was for episode one and we were doing the TCG. We launched our trading card game. We had just got the license. And so I had written the marketing plan and I got, I got to go down to the ranch um, next to his his office, he has all the black and white Norman Rockwells. He's got all the pro- like all the props are amazing, and I got to present. And halfway through the meeting, George walked in, um, sat down in the back of the meeting, uh, stayed for about ten minutes, and then just kind of gives you the nod and walks out. And it was just like, it was cool being in the room. Um, I've met, I've been around him, shaking his hand a couple times. Had growing up as a Star Wars fan, it was that was probably. Oh. Nothing kind of beats that. I got to work with Carrie Fisher, and I got to work with a whole bunch of fun people around Star Wars, but that was getting to be on the ranch and, and getting to see George, and you get a tour, and you see the library where they spent two years making the banister for the stairwell because it's one piece of wood that they turn. Like, there's just stories and stories on stories on, on I, I've, been, I've been to the ranch, and it is I find it absolutely amazing that he had been able to do what he did outside of Hollywood on that ranch is just fascinating to me. I had a job interview there. When I was at Warner Brothers, and uh, I the original, no, the original ranch, the original ranch, and and I spent an entire day interviewing within the promotions group um, pre episode one, and I had no intentions of taking the job, but just to spend the day at that mm-hmm. facility and walking around and kind of taking it all in was just absolutely stunning. You can never see another building when you're outside of a, another building, which is the most amazing thing. So when you're standing. 100%. In front, there's a fire station over yes. here. You just can't see it because these trees Correct. are tilted here. Yes. Deer and cattle. and It's unbelievable. Awesome. Yeah, I, That was probably my favorite memory. When you talked about standing in line for movies, I bet most of the people that listen to this would be like, why would you stand in line for a movie oh. ticket? I don't understand. I saw Star Wars for the first time in six different countries before. So six different languages because we had just left for Africa when Star Wars came out. My father had two days before it came out, I think, before we left. My dad happened to go see it. I was six, I think. And he was like, oh, this movie's great. Wait till you see it. And then we left. And we went to all these different countries. And my dad kept taking me. So I never knew kind of what they were saying. My dad would lean over and oh tell God, me what Star Wars was saying. And when I actually got to see it in in English, it was none of the things that my dad... I think he just <laughs> literally made up what they were saying the whole time. But when Empire came back, we had lent, we were back from Africa. And we moved to Seattle. And... The movie we were in, we were going opening day because I turned into the biggest Star Wars fan, um, and we had to. It was one of those ones where you have to wait in line to buy tickets, and when you mm-hmm. bought your tickets, you get in. It wasn't you could right. buy a ticket and come back. Back then, so it's Empire Strikes Back. It's day one, and it's raining in Seattle randomly. That's weird. And we literally the line would move, and then the line would stop, and then you were there for two hours, and yep. then the line would move. 
and then it would stop. And so I think we got the third screening, but I just remember I just always loved my parents for waiting in line. I We had to be there six hours. You know what's funny? And I, I was nine when Star Wars came out, and it changed my life, but I find that experience so fascinating because today that would not be accepted. That That is something that I don't know if anyone would do. I stood in line. I was a Valley kid in the late 70s, early 80s, so I lived the, the heart of fun valley stuff and one of the things that i did was st- stood in line for four hours to see star wars my dad came into town and we we it wrapped around the building twice and we stood in line to get a ticket which took us in the line to, to wait for however many showings and and so you know that experience i feel like i'm the only like oh yeah i can't why wouldn't you just go buy a ticket and come back you had literally had to wait and I what can't... was great is you got to stand in line and, and talk to people that were there for the same reasons that had the same passion you did maybe saw it already maybe have not seen it maybe friends at school saw it and they had the toys or whatever it may be that that movie going experience for that generation our generation i think was something that we'll never forget and i think it was part of getting into the theater was standing in line and waiting for that although now i'm in a business of preventing you from having to do that but yeah that was part of that film. appreciate that the last line experience i did when i did the star wars episode one uh there was a theater in seattle called cinerama the seattle paul allen had bought it and just rebuilt it and there was kids that waited a month in line. They they yeah. were allowed to camp in front of Seattle, so we would go down awesome. and take them stuff. And awesome, you know that they were on the news constantly. So yeah. we were always giving them cards so they could play the TCG <laughs> while they're on TV. But I was, you know, I always like I used to tell those kids, man, I waited six hours for my movie, and they're just looking at me like when I was younger. Days. Yeah, when I was younger, I would have made fun of them. But you know what? Whatever floats your boat, man. If that makes you happy and. You get fired up for that. Good for you, man. Uh, it's good to be passionate it, about something. Before social media, you had to find different hacks to be the story, right? 100%. And so that was like giving 30 days up to go see a movie, I guess, was the hack. Now you can just put out a good tweet. And exactly. <laughs> become famous. Exactly. I appreciate you coming in. Thanks for yes, doing sir. this. Yes, sir. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris.